Welcome again to Waters Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor of this campus, one church, three locations. Glad that you're here with us tonight. The, let's take out our Bibles. Let's go right to Luke chapter 16. If you're here two weeks ago, I had said that Daniel would start in two weeks, but I was just fooling. It's starting next week. And uh, the reason why is because I felt that the Lord was just giving me a word for you for this week. I want to follow up on a message from two weeks ago and uh, reorient our minds around this principle where everyone matters. Everyone matters. How many believe everyone matters? Yeah, amen. Everyone matters to God. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And because everyone matters to God, everyone should matter to who? To us. We are the church. We are the people of God. We are the people called by the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about when everyone really matters. When everyone really matters. I want to First off, before we get to the message, just um, give you a 411 on something that we started a long time ago here at Water Church North Attleboro. We're, we started a building fund about two years ago, in fact. Actually, about 18 months ago. And uh, things are rolling along, and we used to put it on the bottom of your uh, bulletin, and a couple of people have asked me, where'd that number go? Uh, and I want to tell you the number tonight. And the reason why we took it off was because it was summer, a lot of vacationers, a lot of people going this way, that way, and the other way. And uh, so tonight I want to give you just an update. I believe that right before the summer happened, we were at about $384,000 $384, uh, with the building fund. And uh, some good things have happened to us, and we are presently at $540,000 with our building fund. Yeah. It's good. It's good. I, I, if you're giving to the building fund, keep doing it. If you're not giving to the building fund, start doing it. We need every hand on deck with this one uh, because we are three and a half years away from whatever the Lord has for us. This building is temporary. Uh, by the way, all buildings are temporary. People are eternal. And so we're moving from this building someday. We plan to move. I'd I wanted to move a year ago, <laughs> but we're still here. God is good. It's a great building. We're glad to have this place. It's a wonderful blessing to meet here. But as I said two weeks ago, we do pay $10,000 a month in rent. And that is a lot of money just to be thrown away. We don't want to do that anymore. We want to have a home. We want to move out of mom and dad's and get our own place. Amen, somebody. So that's where we are with the building campaign. A lot of people given regularly. You are all stars. We appreciate it. You are doing wonderful for our church and keep it up. And please, uh, if you haven't started giving, you, you start giving and keep us in prayer, our leadership, as we continue to look for what the God has in store for our church in the future. I believe God has great plans for Waters Church North Attleboro. Amen. I, be, I expect a bigger amen for that kind of that kind of talk. Yeah, amen. Chapter 16 of Luke. Let's go there. Everybody stand up one more time. Chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told this story to his disciples. And I, I want to just let you know, I usually read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Tonight I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And I just like the way that it says it. It's really nothing more than that, but it's just a really great way, very story-like way in which this reads. So the New Living Translation tonight. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Somebody say money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this that I hear about you? Get your report in order because 
<clears throat> you are going to be fired. He's the original Donald Trump right there. Verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the man told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. That's a 50% discount. How many would like a 50% discount somewhere? And, and how much do you owe my employer? He said to another one, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take your bill and change it to 800 bushels. I'll take 20% if I can't get 50%. That's, that's 20% off right there. Verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Somebody say shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Ouch, Jesus. That's straight shooting right there. He just basically said that the people who aren't saved know how to do things to get ahead better oftentimes than the people who are saved. And then he goes on. Here is the lesson. By the way, <clears throat> Jesus told a lot of parables. Sometimes we read the parable, we're like, what is this all about? This is one of those parables where we know what it's all about. Because Jesus is going to say, here's the lesson. I love parables when Jesus finishes it with, and this is the point of the parable. So here's what he says. Here's the lesson, and, and listen to the lesson Jesus wants to teach us. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, how many just think that's a little weird right there? That doesn't sound like Jesus. What is he telling us to, to buy our friends? No. We'll, tell, we'll get to that, but we'll, it's an interesting phrase nonetheless. Verse 10, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater things. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, who clearly or dearly loved money, heard all this and scoffed at him. And he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you will bless your word in our hearts tonight. First, I pray that your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that we will have a perception change on what really matters. And not just say it, Lord, I pray that we will live it and we will be a church that doesn't just believe it, 
but practices it. Not just on Sunday, but every day. We pray that your spirit now in this moment will come and guide our time together and speak to every single one of our hearts. Change us, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Hold up one finger. Remember this a couple weeks ago. Hold up one finger. Come on, everybody play along. It's no fun if you don't play along. Say it with me. Everyone matters. Say, everyone matters to God, therefore everyone matters to us. Now I want you to close your eyes one more time. I, you know, re- repetition is good for us, because you'll hear me do it and you forget it by Wednesday of that week, so we're doing it again. I want you to see on that finger the person who said that you mattered to God. The person who invited you to church, the person who maybe raised you in the faith, the person who talked to you about Jesus, who was it? That person was once you. Somebody said you mattered to God. Therefore, you now need to be the person who says somebody else matters to God. Amen? Amen. Open your eyes. So four elements we talked about two weeks ago about where a church where everyone matters. Number one, a church where everyone matters is full of servants, people who are not looking to be important, people who are looking to serve the body. What do you need me to do? I'll do it. And by the way, first Wednesday happens this Wednesday, just letting you know, first Wednesday on the second Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're talking about what it means to be a servant. Big time message, want you all to be there this Wednesday, starting at six with prayer. But a church where everyone matters is filled with servants. And then number two, a church where everyone matters is filled with servants who are willing to adjust, where they're willing to change and try new things and do new ministries and go new places and touch new people. Always adjusting, always changing. The church should change and adjust and constantly make adjustments so that we can reach everyone. Uh, They're not just willing to adjust and serve, but they're also looking to lead people to Christ. That was number three. That we're here to lead people to Jesus. Number four, and the reason why we do all of that, the reason why we serve, the reason why we adjust, the reason why we talk about Jesus is because in our heart of hearts, way down deep, there's a conviction in every single one of us. And that is that through Jesus Christ, anyone, any one person, no matter what they did in their past or where they come from, the color of their skin or who they were before they came to Jesus, every single one has the potential in the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world. And that was the message from two weeks ago. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you don't even have to watch this video anymore. You just got the whole message. So you're all set. But there was one thing that I left out from that message, and I want to share it with you tonight. A church where everyone matters does all those things, but listen, a church where everyone matters is filled with people who are willing to give. That's the thing I want to talk about tonight. People who know that money and possessions are not to be hoarded or kept. But people who know ultimately that our possessions are to be used in the hands of the master so that the kingdom of God can move forward and people's lives can be changed. We just read a very interesting parable. Very interesting parable about a man who was a manager 
for another man. And I want you to see some lessons from this guy, this, this manager, and what he did and what happened to him. Because we need to see our story in the text to understand what treat Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. So verse 1, we'll read it again. We'll put it on the screen as well. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. If you have a paper Bible, uh, you could underline the word manager or circle the man word manager in your notes. Point number one you need to know about your life is everything I own is on loan. We are managers. We are not owners. We are managers. The old King James says we are stewards. Stewards are people who handle things that other people own. Please understand me, you and I own nothing. We like to think we own but we really don't own a thing. Everybody leaves everything behind. Amen, somebody? We don't have a chance to take it with us. There was a very rich man who died a long time ago. They said, how much did he leave behind? And they said, all of it. <laughs> we can't take it with us. We are managers of God's resources. God's the master. We're the manager. And there was a problem with this manager. He was wasting his master's money. All right. Uh, here's what uh, Paul says to Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 7. He says, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Amen. It's amazing how babies are born. I read this in the book somewhere. Amazing how babies are born. Babies are born like this. Right? And they're just like, gimme, 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 gimme. And their fists are clenched. I still have the videos of my three children being born and, 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 and when they put them on the table and they're just, ah, they're just like clenching, clenching, clenching. Isn't it amazing that when we die, we let our hands go? It's a symbol that all of our grabbing and all of our desiring and all of our claiming through all of our lives at the end of the day, when we die, our hands open up and we let it all go. We can't take it with us. So we got to realize that we're managers. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. It's not ours, it's the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. We are managers. And the report came, verse 1b, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. This is very important that you understand this. He was wasting his employer's money. Second point that I want to make, I am financially accountable to God. I am financially accountable to God. This is hard for some of us to understand, but God cares about what you're doing with your money. And by the way, I got news for you, it's not just 10%. God is not hoping that you just hand him 10% and go on your merry way with the 90. God owns it all. He's concerned with how you manage it all. It's all his. And so we are financially accountable to God. You, need to, might, you might need to write this down on your notes. It's not there for blanks, so feel free to write it down. But money is a spiritual issue. It is not a 
physical issue alone. A lot of people want to do that. We want to compartmentalize. Money's over here in the physical realm, and prayer and devotions and Bible reading and church are over here. That's not true. The whole thing is God's. God owns it all. He cares about it all. He wants us to manage it properly. In fact, I know money's a spiritual principle because in this verse we just read, in this chapter we just read, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Serve is a worship word. And so he's saying money is a worship, money is an object of worship. That some people hoard it and love it and desire it. Money is not the problem, but money can become the problem when we love money at the expense of our love for God. Jesus knew that money was a spiritual issue because 50% of his teachings were about money and possessions. 50% of the time, Jesus was talking about money. And, 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 and sometimes pastors are a little bit leery of talking about money to the church. And I always wonder, why are you leery? Because Jesus, if you read most of his parables, most of his parables are about handling money and being a wise steward of what God gives you and being generous. If Jesus talked about money 50% of the time, I think churches need to start talking about money about 50% of the time. And, and, and maybe there are pastors out there that don't talk about money because they're scared of the reaction of the people. But I'm so glad that we have a church like this where you people love hearing me talk about money. I'm watching who's not clapping. I think I need to preach over to this crowd a little bit more over here. There's hardly anybody clapping over there. Money is a spiritual issue. You can't serve money and God. Verse 2 of the chapter, let's look at that. It says, so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Okay, here's a translation for us. You are going to die. We're going to lose our job. Everybody here, you're praying, God, please don't let anything bad happen to me. There's one bad thing that you can't pray away, friend death. It's going to happen. We don't like to talk about death. We got to get freaked out about death. We don't want to hear about death. In fact, some of us go out of our way not to listen to things about death. Now, honestly, if you were to be honest with me, and I'll be honest with you, we all know this, that one of the few places in your world where you hear about death regularly is in church. Churches talk about death a lot. We even do that. We, we even pull the death card out at the end of the service and say, you never know. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you never know. You could be the, the wonderful word of encouragement. You could be on your way home from church today. Somebody could run into you and squash. Are you ready to meet God? Let's close in prayer. Amen. All right? That's how we like to send you off. Just remember, you could die on the way home. Now, honestly, we're not hoping that that happens for most of you. <laughs> but the truth is this, that Jesus wants us to understand that this life is on loan. We only have so much time. And I think that we forget that. We forget that, that this is temporary. And I know we forget that it's temporary because we get so upset about temporary living conditions. Like, you know, does anybody go camping here? Anybody willfully subject themselves to that torture? The only thing that I like about camping is that it comes to an end. Now you go out into the woods 
and, and plan to sleep on the ground where the bugs are, where rain could come at any time. Oh, my, my tent is waterproof. Everybody that's ever told me that has told me a story about how water got into their tent. So somebody's lying about those tents. But I, I, I think about camping. You guys go into camping. Those of you who like it, you go in knowing that the conditions are going to be less than admirable. Am I right? You don't go into camping thinking, I can't wait to see that chocolate mint on my pillow in the morning. You know that that's not going to be a pleasurable experience. You go into it understanding that. Listen to me about this life. You need to understand that this life is going to have some unpleasurable experiences. You got to stop thinking this is the Hilton. You got to stop thinking that this is the end. This is the destination. This is the landing point. This is temporary. You're just camping out on earth until Jesus comes and brings you home. That's good news for us. But the point that I'm trying to make is your time on earth is short and temporary. Some of you are so miserable about life. You're so mad about what you're going through. You're so mad about who you married. And you thought, oh man, I wish I never said till death do us part. The good news is you die. <laughs> you might have to bear it up for a little while, but good news, someday one of you is going to croak. Praise God. <laughs> it's temporary, friend. It's temporary. I'm not saying that's everybody. And for those of you who that is you, we're praying for you. But it's temporary. You're going to be out of a job, and everything that you think is so wonderful and dear and, and, and necessary is going to be useless at the end of your life. Point number three, I need to have a plan for God's money. I need to have a plan um, for God's money. Verse four, here's what the manager said. He said, I have decided, this is from the ESV, I have decided what to do. Let's just look at that one line for a second. I have decided what to do with my master's money. I'm amazed at how many people have never said that. They've never decided. And, and you're just going through life like, well, whatever happens, you need to plan. You need to stop at some point in life. I, I, I know that you can pretty much go on a cruise until about 35. But at some point, you need to put on the brakes and say, what am I doing with my finances? Because this, this is a spiritual issue, and it's a life issue. Like, nobody wants to run out of money when we get to the end of our lives, right? We want to leave something behind. The Bible even says that a righteous man leaves a righteous inheritance for his children's children. That you don't just swallow it all up and eat it all up and your kids got nothing. You want to leave a righteous inheritance behind. Not just in money, but also in, in character and in integrity. I have decided what to do. Maybe for some of you, the message right here, that's it, that's it, that's over. You just need to start making a plan right now. You need to go to financial peace that's starting. I think it's starting Tuesday night. You need to go to financial peace and start making a plan for what you're going to do with God's resources. And I highly recommend that class. Here's what he says. I have decided to, what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Three things that he does. Number one, he looks ahead. He looks ahead. 
The book of Proverbs says, the wise man looks ahead, the fool won't face facts. This is from the Bible. The wise man looks ahead. The wise man says, how many years can I do this, really? The wise man or the wise woman says, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? These are spiritual issues. These are not just things that you learn in career day at high school or college. This is a real godly wisdom. Look into your future. Plan. And number two, he made plans. It's a godly thing to plan for your money. It's a godly thing to start organizing your thoughts about where you're putting it. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 9. We should make plans, counting on God to direct us. Make a plan. You know what a plan for money is? It's called a budget. A budget is telling your money where to go before you wonder where it went. And that's so key to life. Because how many of us are stressed out because of money? You're fighting with your spouse about money. 50% of divorces happen because of money. This is a life issue. I told you in the beginning, money is a spiritual issue. It affects everything else. I know you want to think that it's not, it's not, it's true. Make a plan. Sit down and say, okay, we need to start looking at where we're putting our money. Tell your money where it should go before you wonder where it went. Verse 5, he acted. That's the third thing that he did. He did something. He did something with his finances, with his opportunities. He invited each person into owed him money, and then he starts cutting deals. And some people say, well, this is weird that Jesus would use this kind of, sh this kind of chicanery, you know, to illustrate for us what we should do. And, and I just want to say this, that Jesus, the point of the parable is not to say, okay, be, you know, kind of questionable in your dealings with your business. That's not the point of the parable because we know that because Jesus says it in verse 9, here's the lesson. But I do think that there is a lesson for us here is that even we can even learn from people who don't worship God truly. Like there are people out there in the world that are financial geniuses and they could teach us if we would just watch, if we just learn. Maybe there's somebody in your family that just, they know how to handle money and you just ask them some questions and start not, not delving too deep. Maybe that'd be weird, but getting some advice from people who aren't Christians. I don't understand Christians who are like, I don't let anybody who's not a Christian talk to me. Never, ever, ever, ever. You're going to live a, live a very lonely existence. I mean, you, you need to learn from everybody and everything because, because at the end of the day, every person is made in the image of God. It's just marred with sin. And so they're they have this common grace hanging over them that enables them to do these great things. I would say this, if you've got a business and if, you've got a, um, if you're struggling with your business, well, find somebody who's not struggling in the field and ask them a bunch of questions. This, this is good advice. Like, this is what I do as a pastor when things aren't going well for me. If, if, I, if I'm going through something with, with my, my own personal life or with my marriage or, or with the church and I don't know what to do, I find guys who have it going on and I go after them and I ask them, what are you doing to make it work? And it's good. Do something. Do something to get ahead, to make a plan 
for your life. So he starts cutting deals, he, and, and he starts, um, you know, giving these, these uh, clients of the master sweetheart deals. And verse 8, the rich man, look what it says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so, and the word again is, shrewd. That's point number four. I should be shrewd. <laughs> now, shrewd is not one of the fruits of the Spirit, but Jesus is sharing this, so it's important. Jesus is talking about being shrewd, and he even says it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of the light are. There are people who don't even worship Jesus that know better than a lot of Christians. We need to be shrewd. The word shrewd is defined in the Greek dictionary as wise or sensible. So now it doesn't sound so bad, does it? I should be wise with my money. I should be sensible with my money. I should be wise with God's money. I should be sensible with God's money. Uh, the dictionary, the English dictionary for shrewd, shared this. This is the definition. Keen awareness, sharp intelligence, an intuitive grasp of practical considerations. That sounds like a quality I could use. Keen awareness, practical, sharp intelligence, and an intuitive grasp of practical considerations. God wants you to be practical. He wants you to be intuitive. He wants you to be aware. He wants you to be keen and sharp. When it comes to money, I think there are basically four areas. Four areas where God wants you to improve concerning money. Number one, God wants you to improve in making money. This isn't in your notes. You're going to have to write these down. God wants us to be shrewd at making money. Some Christians, you, you, you kind of over-spiritualize making money. Well, I just let the Holy Spirit lead me, and I just go And then somebody takes you to court, and you're like, I need a lawyer. It's like you weren't shrewd. You needed to draw up a contract before you got into that relationship with that person. Be shrewd. I've seen so many Christians do this. Hey, you're a brother in Christ, and I'm a brother in Christ. Let's get together and let's do a business. Okay, write down a contract. No contracts necessary. We're Christians. We're going to be fine. Yeah, right. You're Christians, but you're also human. Shrewd. Be shrewd. Learn how to do business. Make money. Um, there's one way the Bible continually tells us how to make money, and some of you are not going to like it. But the number one way that the Bible tells us to make money is this, hard work. <laughs> yeah. Hard work. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, I'm not making enough money. Work harder. Ask the boss for overtime. Seriously, you got to do what you got to do. I don't know. This is, this, understand this, that work is not part of the curse. Genesis chapter 2 the Bible says that God put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it, and sin had not shown up yet. It was there in the beginning. By the way, how does the Genesis chapter 1 go? That God made everything, and then he looked at his work and said, it is good. Work is good. I love to work. I love to do this, and I love my side job that I'm not telling anybody about. I don't tell you that. I, just, I don't use this pulpit for that purpose. I'm just saying it. But I have a side job, and I love to do things with my hands. It's good. Some of you work on your house. It helps the value of the house go up. Don't let that thing go to pot. That's your home. Make it better. That's a good thing. It's like your Garden of Eden right there, baby. Just make that your own. 
enjoy it and work and cultivate it. I love to do things on my house and, and make things in my house and fix things up. It's enjoyable. Work is a good thing. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 16 says this, and this is, this is another way that you work, uh, make money. Here, here's what it says in 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The second way that we make money according to the scripture is to learn. Get education, grow, develop a new skill. That's a godly thing. Get education, get, get understanding. It's better than silver. Why? Because if you get understanding, the silver will follow. Get, get, get wise in how you go about what you do. Some of you need to ask yourselves, even right now, how can I do my business better and faster and more efficient today than I was doing it yesterday? That's a very godly thing. I, it's, it, this is not a, I know, I know that we're talking about things that seem unspiritual, but listen, money is a spiritual issue. Hard work is a biblical principle. Second thing, um, some of you are great at making money, but you stink at saving money. Save. Save money. This is a Bible principle, okay? Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 20. Fools spend whatever they get. Fools take the paycheck and just go, hum, 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 hum. it's foolish. Put something aside. Um, I was reading an article online this week. It was uh, some, uh, some surprising statistics. It says that 50% of Americans cannot, could not come up with $2,000 in the next month if they had to. 50% of working Americans could not come up with $2,000 in one month. That's not good. Because you just never know what's going to happen. Um, if you're 30, I looked this up online, the same article said this actually. If you're 30, every dollar you save today will be worth $9.60 by the age of 65. That's a pretty good return on investment. Are you putting something away? Uh, they average out the cost of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. For all you smokers out there, I hope you really enjoy it. Because it's expensive. They average out the cost of smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. And they said including higher health insurance costs and, and all the costs associated with it, it averaged out to $12,000 a year. $12,000 a year. In 30 years, if you were to put that money into a safe savings account, you would have $360,000. Like I said, I hope you really enjoy that drag. Because <laughs> it's costing you big time. Just saving a little bit of money every single day. Every single week, just put a little bit, $5, $10, make plans. Amen, somebody? Amen. This is the big point of Jesus' par uh, Jesus's parable, though, okay? Uh, make money, save money, but I saved the biggest one for last, give money. Godly people are giving people. You, you can't be a Christian, a true Christian, and not be a giver. It's not, it's not in your spiritual DNA. You might think you're a Christian, but you're not because you don't give. You you're made in the image of a giving God. The first thing that God ever said to mankind was not, don't eat that tree. 
The first thing that he said was, I've given you all the other trees. It's all yours. Take it. God is a giving God. We have to give. That's point number five. I must be generous. I must be generous. Now, let's look at verse 9 again. Here's the lesson Jesus says. Here's why I'm telling you the story. Use worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Jesus is saying, use the resources, the financial resources, the material resources that you have to get people to heaven. That's what you're doing when you give in Jesus' name. When, when, you, when you tithe to the local church, you're giving your money, your resources, you're giving God's resources into what God cares about to empower the local church to get people into heaven. We populate heaven almost every single week in this church. Somebody goes from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's powerful. It's awesome. Do you know what makes that happen? I hate to tell you this. It's not, it doesn't sound spiritual. Money. Money makes it happen. Money pays the bills. Money funds the ministry. Money makes this thing go round and round. It's just true. He said, I don't understand. Why could God could just save people without money? Yeah, he could. But I, I think that God looks at America with all of his resources, with all of our toys, with all of our entertainment, with all of our stuff, and he's looking at us saying, I'm enjoying everything else. And he's like, hey, start taking some money and put it away for eternal blessings. Start putting into what I care about. It's wonderful that you enjoy stuff. It's wonderful that you enjoy life. Yeah, but what's out of your money, out of your pile of money that God trusts you with what are you putting away into the kingdom of heaven? So we give, we, we tithe. Tithe is 1%. This is a scriptural principle from the time of Abraham right through the New Testament. I don't understand Christians who say, I don't tithe because I'm a New Testament person. That just burns me up, man. It's just like, I want you to ask one simple question, okay? Under the old covenant, you got two tablets of stone and 536 laws. Under the New Testament, you got the blood of God's only begotten Son. You never have to do all that slaughtering yourself. You don't have to kill your goats anymore. You don't have to kill your sheep anymore. You don't have to kill your oxen anymore. Anybody like the fact that you don't have to kill your oxen anymore? Even if you don't have any oxen, you don't have to kill them. Praise God. Why? Because God took his son and put him on the cross for you. I want to know, does God deserve less now than he had in the Old Testament? And aside from the point that Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, you should tithe, those are his words, um, I don't see it. I don't see if you read the context of the whole Bible where we could possibly say that it's okay to be cheap in Jesus' name. Just don't see it. What are you, what are you, what are you putting away? Somebody once said like this, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Jesus said it like this, do not store up treasure for yourselves where thieves can break in and steal and moth must Rust and moth can destroy. But store up for yourselves, that's a very key word there, for you, treasure in heaven 
that no one can steal and no moth or rust can destroy. Where are you putting it away? Are you sending it up to heaven? I, I shared this uh, a couple years ago. Many of you are going to remember this, but it needs to be shown again. All right, this is a little illustration I showed a couple years ago during one of our series. This is your life. Your life is one big tangled rope. And Jesus comes and he untangles your rope. Amen, somebody. But here's the deal. You are an eternal being. You are an eternal being. So I want you to see this as your eternity. All this rope is your eternity. All the time, you're going to spend up in heaven chatting with Abraham and having tea with David. Okay? It goes on forever. That's you. That's me. And this little red spot at the beginning of the rope is now. Birth. Death. And this. 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 On and on and on for eternity. And most people are consumed with this. This little area right here. Right here. This. This little area. Am I going to have enough? Am I going to be okay? Will God take care of me? What kind of question is that? Have you read the Bible? <laughs> He's going to take care of you. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. He'll take care of you. Jesus said, Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, I, I, I think that we say that verse way too calm as Christians. I think that Jesus is at, towards the end of the, of the best sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, if you, if you just put the kingdom first, God will let all these things that the pagans run after be added to your life. You won't be able to contain it. He's a good giving God. Put the kingdom first and watch what happens. It's amazing how God shows himself to us over and over and over again. Don't worry about it. God's got it under control, and he'll take care of you. So number uh, six, I can start where I am. One of the things that people say to me is, I'll be generous when I have a lot of money. No, you won't. You are going to be you no matter how much money you have. If any group of NFL football fans should know that, it's you people. Everybody's wondering, how could Aaron Hernandez do that? I don't understand it. How could he do that? He had everything. He had all that money. He had all that stuff. He had the life. I'll tell you how. Who he was when he had nothing is who he is when he has everything. And if you think that money is going to change you, you're wrong. You're wrong because Jesus said it's not going to change you. Look what he said in verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. Here's what Jesus is saying. Who you are with little is who you are with much. So start now. 
Start asking God to give you a generous heart. And even if you don't have a generous heart, give anyway. <laughs> Forget waiting for it to feel like you should do it. Seriously, you're like, oh, as soon as I feel the Holy Spirit, give me a little tingle, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm there. Just do it. Do it because Jesus said it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall be poured into your lap, running over. Some I mean, of you got to just start tithing. Just going to start doing it. Just start giving to your church. Say, I love this church, and I, I, I love being here, and man, I get fed here. Okay, here's the principle from Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, if people bless you spiritually, you have an obligation to bless them physically with material resources. That's a biblical principle. So loving the church is great, but you got to be faithful to God and God's resources and fund the ministry that blesses your life. How many of you would love New England to turn around? Yeah, amen. It's going to take money. Just going to be honest with you. It's going to take money. And, 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 and some of you, you might be looking at me saying, Pastor, are you saying this because we're not giving enough? No, you're giving fine. You're giving great, but I'm telling you, this is what happens when everyone matters. When everyone really matters, everyone is willing to give. Because it's about the kingdom and it's about that eternal home that I'm going to. And I want to send it on ahead. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. Amen. And the last point I want to share with you is people are the real treasure. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 11. If you if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? What's Jesus saying? Here's, here's what he's saying. Unrighteous wealth, the Greek word is mammon. Mammon, the word is a Syrian word. It comes from a god of the Babylonians. They worshiped a god named mammon. It goes through the Greek. It comes out as money. And so... Money, Jesus is saying, if you haven't been faithful with money, who's going to give you true riches? Well, what are true riches? True riches are people. True riches are, are people. And Jesus said it. I said this two weeks ago, that if a man gains the whole world and he loses his soul, he's lost everything. You know, one of the things that we ask every small group leader in this church to do, and we unabashedly ask them, is that you got to be faithful with the tithe. you got to be faithful with the tithe. That's the one thing that we can know from you, that you're honoring God with the unrighteous wealth. Because if you can't do that, if you can't handle Benjamin Franklin and George Washington's, there ain't no way we're going to trust you with the precious people who are alive in our church today. And you say, well, that's weird. That's kind of intrusive. This is the scripture where we get the principle. Jesus said, look, I'm looking for people who I can trust. That's why he says in, six, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says a, a, a pastor or an elder or an overseer, he has to manage his house and his finances. Well, he can't be a lover of money. His money fades, but people are eternal. My parents, 
Cheryl's parents, they taught us to tie. They taught us to honor God first. And man, it's been an awesome ride. It's always amazing how faithful God has been over the course of our lives. And there's many here, they could stand up right now and tell you the same exact thing. There's only two kinds of people in the world, uh, in the church that I know of. There's only two kinds. The people who say, I can't tithe. And the people who say, I couldn't possibly stop tithing. They just know how it works. God is good. God is a giver. And when we sow seed in the kingdom of heaven, we store up treasure for ourselves. The kingdom moves forward. The church grows. The church flourishes. And the gospel of Jesus Christ goes from here throughout all of New England. And heaven is populated. And hell is emptied out. And that's what I want. And I know that's what you want. Let's be that kind of church where everyone really matters. Would you stand?